Open your Bibles to Numbers 21, please. There are some parts of this chapter I will skip, skip just for brevity, but I encourage you to go back and read it again. And um, let's ask the Lord's blessing on the reading and on the hearing we have yet to do. Father, we thank you for the riches of your grace and mercy that are displayed in the scriptures. Help us to apply them, appreciate them, to share the riches of that salvation in Christ with others. It never gets too old hearing that story again and again. We thank you for your choice of us. We don't understand it, but we rest in it. We pray we'll honor your name in this time, in the preaching and the teaching and the reading of your word. Amen. So, turn with me then in Numbers 21. There are some other passages. There's some other passages in Deuteronomy 2 and 3, and we'll jump there as we need. Uh, part of the problem with the Old Testament, most people like to read the Old Testament in one chapter, and that's all they read. You have to assimilate the rest of the Old Testament. We'll be in the Psalms, a very powerful verse jumped out at me this morning, uh, this week, when I was in my quiet time in the Psalms. I'm always studying the Old Testament, but I'm always studying the New Testament. I study both places at the same time, and you need to be in that habit. So read with me Numbers 21. When the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in Negev, heard that Israel was coming by the way of the Atherian, then he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people in my hand, then we will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord heard the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites. Then the other utterly destroyed them and their cities. Then the name of that place was called Hormon. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Eden. Now they were prevented by Eden from passing through the land. So they had a detour very important word and the people became impatient because of the journey and the people spoke against Moses God and Moses why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness for there's no food and no water we loathe this miserable food and the Lord sent fiery serpents upon the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died so the people came to Moses and said we have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fire serpent, set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. And Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on the standard, and it came about that if a certain serpent bit any, any man when he looked at the serpent, he lived. Now the sons of Israel moved out and camped. And they go through 11 camps. But I want to focus on one camp. And then we'll read on. Verse 16. And from there they continued to bear. There was a well where the Lord said to Moses, Assemble the people that I may give them water. Then Israel sang this song. Spring up, O well, sing to it. The well which the leaders sank, which the nobles of the people dug, with scepter and with their staff. 
and from the wilderness they continue on. So they continue on their journeys. Verse 21. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not turn off into the field or vineyard. We will not drink water from the wells. We will go by the king's highway until we've passed through your border. But Sihon could not, would not permit Israel to pass through his border. So Sihon gathered all the people, went out against Israel in the wilderness, and came to Jehaz and fought against Israel. Then Israel struck him with the edge of the sword, took possession of his land from Arnor to Jabbok, as far as the sons of Ammon, for the border of the sons of Ammon was Jazer. And Israel took all these cities, and Israel lived in all the cities of the Amorites at Hishbon and all her villages. For Hishbon was a city of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and taken all the land out, taken the land out of his hand. Okay, skip down. Thus, verse 31, Israel lived in the land of the Amorites. And Moses sent to spy out Jezer, and they captured his villages and dispossessed the Amorites who were there. Then they turned and went up by the way of Bashan, and Og, the king of Bashan, went out with his people for battle at Edri. But the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him. I have given him into your hand, and all his people and his land, and all shall go to you as you did to Sion, king of the Amorites, who lived at Hishman. So they killed him and his sons and all his people until there was no remnant left, and they possessed his land. Now you got to go and read all of Numbers, uh, Deuteronomy 1, 2, and 3, but we'll jump over 2 and 3 because 2 and 3 of Deuteronomy has some insights of why these kings came out. The Lord hardened their hearts. He hardened their hearts. So God is preparing the way. Well, the churches, your church is in the process of going through a transition. You've had transitions for about three years. You got another one. New pastor coming in. New expectations, most likely change. And it's hard to make transitions. You know, some of the hardest transitions in our life are when that first baby comes around. You change jobs, new to a new part of the country, go to a new church, finding believers who really love the Lord like you do. Those are all hard transitions. And so the sons of Israel has some transitions to make, too. This is that transition chapter. But the previous chapter, they had finally come back to Kadesh Barnea. 38 years getting there. Marion died at Kadesh Barnea. Aaron died a little later. And Moses dies at the end of Numbers. And all the other previous generation that were 20 years old or older, they had died in the wilderness. And of course, the other transition was Moses blew it. Instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock. 
He didn't treat God as holy before the ascendment. So a lot of transitions going on. And that is part of life. That's just the way it is. But what we see in Numbers 21 is the beginning of a new transition for a new generation. They return to the scene of their failure. You know, that's tough, returning to the scenes of your failures. Whether it's on a job, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in ministry where you didn't take care of certain things you should have taken care of, it's difficult returning to those scenes. Somehow, the Canaanite king of Ered had captured some of the sons of Israel. And for the first time in the story of Israel, they showed concern for someone other than their immediate self. Some of the Israelites had been captured. They hadn't done that before. You know, that is a turning point when a body of believers are concerned for others. That is a critical turning point. And they did. And then they made a vow to the Lord, if we will, if you will indeed deliver them into hand, we will go up and destroy their cities. Well, God had already promised that. He told the first generation that is what he wanted them to do. And so he honored their request. And notice, they utterly destroyed them and all their cities, and the name of the place was Hormah. That should sound familiar, because that is where they got pushed back by going up presumptuous without the Lord in their presence. That's always what happens when we move into an endeavor. God is not the God of the endeavor. He's second place, or not even that. Phenomenal. And this is their first victory they've ever experienced. Wow. And then, notice what happens, verses 4 through 9. They repeat the sins of the past. They go around the land of Edom, and that was a detour, and they became impatient because of the journey. Impatient. And then the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food, no water. We loathe this miserable food. They're doing the same thing their parents did. Same thing the previous generation did. Have they learned anything? Well, notice the Lord sends fiery serpents bite them, and a bunch of them die. He disciplines them quickly. 
It's sort of like raising a three-year-old. My grandson has a three-year-old. His, his uh, girl, the lady he didn't marry, which thank goodness he didn't, she doesn't believe in discipline. And so she's wrestling with how to control a three-year-old boy. It is tough. And I told my son, I says, you're going to have to discipline that boy just like you discipline a dog. Love, love, spanking every now and then. You have to discipline. And our Lord disciplines them here. He disciplines. And look at the response. We have sinned. For the first time, they've come back and been honest. We have sinned. That's fantastic. That's a step in the right direction. Because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede for us before the Lord. That he might remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for him like he's always done. It's a beautiful change. I wish their parents had seen that change. But there's a reason why they didn't. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. Well, they became impatient because of the detour, the delay. Things were not going as they expected them to go. Aren't we all like that? We're all like that. And they became impatient. But you need to notice, this, this sin of impatience is a dangerous sin because it fuels other things. It fueled their dislike of God and his servants. It fuels a dislike of God and his servants. It fueled the display, their, their displeasure of God and his ways. And it fueled their dissatisfaction with God's provision of food and water. Impatient does that. They actually were doubting God's sovereignty, his provision, his guidance, his character. Everything. Everything their parents had done. And you need to understand, how old would they have been? Well, if all those at 20 older had died, add 38, about 58 to 60. Hmm. Now, these people died, and when they looked at the serpent, they saw. But I want you to turn with me to John, chapter 3. What? Yes, you need to see it in context. This event occurs in Jesus' words. John, chapter 3. Now, we're all familiar with verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only God and son. But you probably haven't focused on the two verses before it. 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of God be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. See, 
see, the Old Testament connects with the New. And Jesus says you have to look at him. You have to believe in him. And Tozer says it very well. He says, faith is the gaze of the soul at God. That's what it is. It's a beautiful picture. That gaze can be taken anywhere, and it can be done continually, but once for saving, it's done once and for all. But we need to continue to look there. Our problem is we don't keep looking there. We get distracted. Wow. Distractions are plenty. I have stories about distractions. And then we see in verses uh, 10 through 20, back in Numbers, they have a rapid journey forward. There are 11 stops they make. Now, if you go to Numbers 33, they hadn't made that many steps, that many camps, but they made a lot of camps here very quickly, but they were out of water. They had a need for water, which the Lord was to provide, but he didn't provide it the way he had before. He intentionally didn't provide it that way. Read what it says again. Verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, Assemble the people that I may give them water. He was going to give it to them, but they had to work for it. And they had to sing for it. Which the leaders sang, which the nobles of the people dug. God doesn't do it always the same way. He wants us trusting in him, not the method. We must trust in him, not the method. Because what will happen, we will worship the method. Or we will worship the serpent. Do you know? I did some looking this morning. Hezekiah came across the serpent in the temple and he destroyed it. Same brass serpent. 2,000 years later, he destroyed it because they were worshiping the serpent, they were burning incest to it. That's what's happened to the church. We have pulled things from years and years and years through it and in our lives as well. They need to be destroyed. We need to worship God and God alone. Hezekiah saw it. We need to see it as well. Just remember, God has lots of options of meeting needs. He is not limited. We're limited. He's not limited. And the next area is ripping asunder the doubts of the past. Remember the majority report 38 years earlier in Numbers 13. They said the people in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, the descendants of Anak are there. That was their assessment of the majority report. To agree, to a degree, they were right. That was all there. 
You'll see why I say that in a moment. The people are strong, but it's not as strong as those that have the Lord on our side. We always fail to realize, realize that. God's on our side. He's stronger than any. I don't care how strong you think they are. In our current days, we need to know the Lord is on our side. And we need to pray boldly that way. Two, the cities are fortified, but they're not up to the heavens, as it says in Deuteronomy. They exaggerated how tall the cities were. That's what we do. We exaggerate our problems. We should exaggerate the promises of God, not the problem. That's what we should be exaggerating. And there were anic there. But God always has a way of destroying giants. He always has a way. It's a divine way. It's not the world's way. It's a divine way. So Israel tried to pass through Sihon's, Sihon's territory peacefully with payment for food, water, and all, and God hardened their hearts and they destroyed them. Completely. Doesn't give you account of the cities. But turn with me to Deuteronomy 3 for a moment. Sorry for the number of pages, the, page, the turning of pages, but you need to get in the habit of doing that. Deuteronomy 3. Uh, let's start up um, verse 2. But the Lord said to me, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him and all his people and his land in your hand, hands. And you shall do to him just as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived in Hishpun. So the Lord delivered Og, also the king of Bashan, and all his people into our hand. We smote them until no survivor was left. We captured all his city at that time. There was not a city which we did not take for them. There were 60 cities. All the region. Verse 5. All these were cities fortified with high walls, gates, and bars, besides a great many unwalled, unwalled towns. But I want to go jump down to verse 11. Let's see if that's where I want. Yeah. For only Og, the king of Bashan, was left of the remnant. Behold, his bedstead was an iron bedstead. It, it was an iron bedstead. It is in Rahab of the sons of Ammon. Its length was nine cubits, 13 and a half feet long, his bed was, and four cubits by width. That's six feet. He was 13 and a half feet tall. He was a giant. And his sons were probably giants. Now, I don't think Og was all 13 and a half feet. I think you got to give him six inches on each side, so he's about 12 and a half feet. But he was taller than Goliath, who was only nine feet. There were giants there. You can't discount that. They saw that. 
and they slayed the giants. Notice, three victories. One, punt. Two, good. Three, good. And you go to the next part of numbers, they have a trouble. But that's the way the Christian life is. It goes up and down, forward, backward. This chapter is the beginning of a life of faith for the sons of Israel. It's probably going to be the last chapter of my book, something along this line. Because they finally show signs of faith. That's what it's all about. Exhibiting faith in all that we got to do. Now, turn with me one other place. Psalm 81. I think that's where I'm thinking. No, it's not 81. I can't believe I did that. Oh, Psalm 95. Sorry. That's the problem when you're studying the Psalms. You forget some things where you found them. Psalm 95. And this part of this passage is quoted in Hebrews. And I want to read, start in verse 8 through 11. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, or as in the day of Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathe that generation. Wow. And they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger that they shall not enter in to my rest. There's a time when God grows impatient. Don't know when that time is. That's how come there's such an urgency to share the gospel. There really is, as never before. Well, let's look at some of the applications that I have written down. We all, number one, we all have situations or places like Kadesh Barnea or failures that God will take us back toward to see if we will trust him this time. He does that. He's done it to me. He takes you back. It won't be coded in the same way. It will be a little different. You'll have to have eyes of faith to even see the difference. But it takes us back. In his sovereignty and time, he will take us back many times as necessary. Why? He wants us to succeed. That's why he tests us. He wants us to succeed. Satan tests us so that we fail. His purpose is completely different. God's purpose is for us to grow in faith. Very different purposes. Remember that. Next time you're going through trial, thank God for it. There's a reason. Number two, in life there are many details, detours. What is our response in these detours? Do we fight it 
Do we grumble in it? Do we rest in it? Do we see the good in them? Our inflexibility can lead to destruction in many ways. The impatience is dangerous. I want to share an example. My son, my oldest son, who loves to fish, he had a household of women at the house in Connecticut. So he called me up at the last minute, and usually I don't have time for last-minute moves. I'm taking care of so many animals, and I've lost my fox relief pitcher, uh, and so I don't normally do it. But I, I managed to swing it. So I went up, and we fished. He caught a 15 to 20-pound catfish. Can you believe hauling that in a kayak? So he's, we've all caught our big catfish out of this river, the Shenandoah. He says, well, I was looking for you. Well, I was further down the river and uh, dodging people in the rapids. And my, my son sometimes doesn't tell me all the facts of the trip. Oh, we're checking out tonight. No, I can't check out tonight. I just got here. And I hate driving down 81 in the dark. And if you've ever been on 81, it's a dangerous road uh, in a lot of ways. So I, we left the next morning after breakfast. I get down past Whitefield, just not too far from Marion, Virginia, which is home for my relatives, distant relatives. It's the town of Sievers. And my car, going along the interstate, all of a sudden, poof, poof, stop. No spit, nothing. Just poof, and a poof, gone. Couldn't start it. Wow, God, you must have something interesting for me to learn here. And so I waited a few minutes, and I tried to start it again, and I said, all right, Lord, allow me to start it so I can go up just a little bit and back into the entrance exit ramp on the interstate. So he did. Start it and back up the entrance because I've been on that road where we've seen trucks pile into the back of trucks, back of cars, shuts down that interstate for hours, hours. I said, well, Lord, thank you. And so then I try to call uh, AAA, which we have a membership with. Couldn't hear them. The traffic was so noise. Called my wife. Well, you call them. And so between the two of us, we tried to connect with them. To make a long story short, long story short, they never found me. They couldn't find me. I gave them the mile marker. Gave them everything. Couldn't find me. All right, Lord. So I'm going to just sit here and pray and sing. Took pictures of flowers. You have a reason for it. And if nothing else, to rejoice in your presence. And so that's what I did. No AAA coming. And, um, and finally, about an hour and a half, I was there about four hours. So you talk about a detour delayed. Uh, a guy from uh, Kingsport came by. He was a tower, Hillbilly Towing Company. He had a car on his vehicle already. I said, well, if you... If you need me, I can drop this car off and come back. Give me a call. So he kept touching with me, and oh, I'm not sure that's the way. 
And then I had a guy, I didn't even see him drive up, but when I saw him drive up, he was barefoot. And it was sort of a cool day. It wasn't real hot. I said, what do you need? I don't know. I just need help. I don't know what it is. Well, I have some gas for you. Do you got a cup of gas? I got almost, almost a quarter of a tank. Well, let me give you two or three gallons. So he gave me two or three gallons, poured it in. And I said, well, you want me to pay? No, oh, no, that's fine. Just go on. So when he left, or maybe it's holy gas. Sure enough, it started. And so I proceeded down on my trip, driving slower than I have to on that road. And the guy was waiting for me in Marion, Virginia, and he followed me all the way back to Kingsport. And so my wife was more upset than I was. But my oldest son who had gone fishing, he said, God takes care of you in the most interesting way he does. But when I've taken my car into the Mazda people, it had happened once before, two years ago. Same way, the other direction out in the middle of nowhere. I said, guys, you have a problem. This is your vehicle. You're going to learn something about your product by fixing this car. And they still haven't gotten it. But detours are part of life. We got to sing praises in them. Delays, they're part of life. How we respond is what God's interested in. That's what he's interested in. That's the way we grow in faith. Number three, impatience breeds other sins, like dislike of God's servants and his ways, dissatisfaction with God's provision and timing, doubts about his sovereignty, his character, and his guidance. Confess this sin quickly, since it's the root of many other sins, especially unbelief. Especially unbelief. Number four is for you to contemplate. There was quick discipline in this case. Why? Chew on that. Why? Five, six, and seven. Five, the gaze of the soul at the brazen serpent is parallel with the gaze of the soul at Jesus, our Savior on the cross. It's the same gaze. It's a look. Tozer suggests this is the best definition of faith, the gaze of the soul at a saving God. At a saving God. Three times before, Israel had need for water, but God met the need three different ways that we might learn quickly that our trust is not in God's method, but in God alone. God alone. And finally, God will rip asunder our doubts of the past. If we respond to him by faith, we will get to know him more intimately. This may be difficult, but at first, but it does become easier if we look at him steadily, quietly, without strain, every day. He is the author and perfecter of faith, not us.
Well, I've enjoyed my time here in about 18 months, and I hope you have too. Uh, we'll visit back occasionally. I won't show up for a while. Uh, I got some other engagements in some other churches, so I've already, God's already pulling me other directions. But it's been a pleasure, but I hope your love of Him has increased. Father, we thank you for the time. Thank you for the reality of your word, how rich it is, how pertinent it is. May we be a generation of believers that cling to you with our, all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, trusting in you and you alone, not the methods you use or churches use, but in you, in his name.